Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We're presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, Coles Wicker is here. It's a live NBA trade deadline podcast. It is uh, 1135, something like that. We're going live now. We're going to talk about uh, all of the trades that have happened in the NBA. We've got 25 minutes until the trade deadline and the deals are coming in pretty quick. Like basically since Cole and I got on the phone and started kind of scheduling this thing out, uh, Vita Zubak and Michael Beasley has gotten traded for, uh, Mike Muscala, which is a deal that exists. Uh, it's just a, it's a wild time to be following this on Twitter because Woj is just dropping bombs from wherever the studio is that he's at, either in uh, Connecticut or in LA. I'm not sure which one he's at. Cole, before we get started, how are you doing? I'm doing well, man. This is kind of my second favorite day of the year behind uh, the draft, of course. So it's an onslaught right now. And if people remember, you can kind of go through the 12 o'clock Western time limit if you're already negotiating so we're going to get a lot of trades the last minute this is really fun yeah uh let's just jump in so we're we're going to talk about these in order of importance basically or like in terms of just high profileness uh we have something like 12 deals listed here and as a deal happens live we'll talk about it and you know jump right in but the first deal here happened today marcus Saul for Jonas valanciunas delon wright CJ Miles in a 2024 second. What did you think of this entire deal? It's really fascinating just because they're not getting a first round pick back via Memphis here. Um, so that's kind of interesting. We didn't know what Marcus Stoll's value is going to be. And this seems kind of right. I mean, Memphis gets back to Lon Wright. I think he's a really nice chip. He's going to be a restricted free agent coming up next year. I think he can actually really help them long term moving forward, giving them kind of like a two guard combo guard wing option. And then Marcus sold to Toronto. Pretty fascinating. I mean, it's an upgrade over Jonas. I think that's the key for Toronto. They weren't going to be able to pay Delon Wright anyway after this year. So they just gives them more firepower in the front court. What do you think? So it gives them more firepower in the front court. Uh, you know, Jonas and CJ Miles, Marcus all essentially replaces their money over the same term. So, you know, it's not like they're adding money to their books long term. They do lose DeLon Wright, who is a valuable piece for them. In terms of the upgrade here, I think it's certainly an upgrade because realistically what we're talking here is how much better is Marcus all than Serge Ibaka, in my opinion, in closing lineups. Not necessarily Jonas Valanciunas, because my bet here is that Marcus All moves into Toronto's starting lineup, or you know becomes their closing center at the least, we'll say. And that's intriguing, because you're not going to take Siakam out of the lineup, in my opinion. He's been awesome. You're obviously not taking Kawhi out of the lineup. The guard, guard rotation is what it is. So I'm just very interested by how this entire situation goes. Uh, I think that just the price point was right for them. I don't know that they necessarily wanted to deal with the DeLon Wright contract in the offseason necessarily, despite the fact that I think he's a good third guard. Uh, he's probably going to get something like $10 million next offseason. So just for the price point, I think it makes sense for them. Absolutely, and just an update here. Woj just tweeted that the Grizzlies are, in fact, keeping Mike Conley, um, sources tell him. So it looks like Marcus Soul is the only Grizzly on the way out here. Well, two others got dealt already, so we, we should talk about that in a second, Garrett Temple and Jamichael Green. But 
let's talk real quick about what Memphis is doing here. Memphis made a mistake not dealing Marcus All last offseason. Like last trade deadline, realistically, and last offseason. Sure. They they have made a mistake letting this drag out as long as it did. And I think it reflects their return. For what Marcus All is and what a team is getting, oh shit. Orlando is trading for Mark Fultz. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is the podcast that we've all been waiting for. Um, oh, man. So with Jonas uh, in DeLon Wright in a 2024 second, I think that's actually a pretty reasonable return for what Marcus Gasol is now and the uncertainty over whether or not Marcus Gasol will pick up that $25 million option next offseason because he's probably not a $25 million player right now, um, but he's good enough to get maybe – 18 to 20 on the market uh, over the course of multiple years. So it kind of, it throws it all in flux in terms of what Mark's going to do next off season. But for Memphis, I think this is a fine return. They can pay DeLon Wright. They can let him develop with Jalen Jack or Jaron Jackson and just kind of let this roll. Exactly right. And Toronto's not really losing anything because after this year, all of these guys have tenure situations. We have Jonas with a player option for about $17.6 million. CJ Miles with a player option at $8.7 million. And then, of course, Daylon being a restricted free agent, likely if they tender a qualifying offer. So none of these guys have set in stone positions next year. So when you're talking about upgrading to a Marcus Soule, we don't know what he's going to do with his player option yet, but it's at least an upgrade and they're not sacrificing any first round picks in the future. Not a lot of draft capital going out here just a second. So that's not really like a high investment for Toronto. There's upgrading. And I think the price was very, very reasonable for them. Yeah. And then we should talk about the other Memphis trade real quick while we wait for details on this Markel Fultz deal. Um, the other Memphis trade is bizarre to me as it currently stands. Uh, it is Memphis trades, Garrett Temple and Jermichael green for Avery Bradley and Chris Harrington down in Memphis reported that there are no picks involved in this. It shocks me that Memphis couldn't get second round picks for Garrett Temple and Jermichael green. Yeah, absolutely. I missed this when we were reviewing our trades. So I should say the only high-profile guy going out was Marcus Ole and not Mike Conley. Yeah. This is a really pu- puzzling one for me, getting Avery Bradley back. Uh, Bradley, of course, has that partial guarantee next year. Do you think that this was a trade more incentivized by wanting Avery Bradley on the team? Or wh- what do you think is going on here? I don't know. <laughs> because if you've watched Avery Bradley this year, he's been pretty awful, honestly. He's been like, really he- bad. You can make a case that there are a few players currently starting in the like he might be the worst starter in the NBA, like realistically until they took him out. Like he, he has genuinely been bad for them. Um, I I don't know what they're thinking here for the Clippers. They get two guys that will help them try and make the playoffs. If they make the playoffs, their pick transfers, uh, if I remember correctly, to Boston. And you know if they miss the playoffs, they get to keep their pick. So you know which incentive is more valuable to them i'm not entirely sure but they also get off of two million dollars of avery bradley yes uh for next off season so they add to their cap space cash i i don't get this one for memphis at all it makes total sense for the clippers at that price point very 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 bizarre Unless Memphis thinks that they can trade him in the offseason, he would still be eligible to be traded at the draft, unlike these other two guys. And for the Clippers, you're right. Avery Bradley has that $2 million guarantee by uh, July 3rd if he's not waived by then. So that's the incentive for the Clippers part. Just get off an extra $2 million, clear up some space this year um, as far as rotation-wise to play Shea more because um, Avery Bradley's not been good for them. I think they... 
by this trade. I think they've kind of acknowledged that to an extent. Maybe get Temple in there, a little bit more versatility playing the three, get a little bit bigger, and then uh, open up some minutes for Shea. I think that's the incentive here for them. And then Memphis, yeah, I, I guess maybe they trade Avery Bradley at the draft and they think they have a chance to do that. I have no, maybe they aggregate salaries. Uh, it, it's hard. It's a harder sell for them, I guess. But you, you can see at least the contract value going into the future a little bit more if they can move him. Yeah, uh, I think that I agree with you on this. And we've got details on the Markel Fultz deal now. So let's talk about that because this is the deal that we have been waiting for for years. Uh, (laughs) Jonathan Simmons, an Oklahoma City first round pick and a second round pick uh, is going to go to the Sixers for Markel Fultz. What are your thoughts on that just when you hear that? I mean, I didn't know if Markel was going to net a first-round pick. We were hearing Terrence Ross from the Magic. We were hearing potentially Atlanta for Deadman, maybe Prince, depending on how you value him. I did not think they would necessarily get a first-rounder. We don't know what the protections are yet, to my knowledge. So that, I, that, I, I can tell you what that is. So it's uh, okay. protected 1 through 20 in 2020. Okay. So yeah, you would think bad. that that pick transfers, in all honesty. Oklahoma City will probably, with Paul George and with Russell Westbrook and Steven Adams, they probably finish in the top 10 of the league, and that pick probably transfers. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, that makes a little bit more sense. I think this is kind of an interesting talent dice role for the Magic because they don't have that point guard. We talked about them in the past. They really need that initiator type going forward. So you can kind of sell yourself on that. Um, Jonathan Simmons has $1 million guaranteed next year, so not a big investment, of course, for the Sixers. They need to clear up space. And Markell is on the books, I think, for over $9 million next year. Uh, when you're looking at how the salaries aggregating up on their books, they're not going to be able to pay all these guys. They're, they're going to try to re-sign Tobias, re-sign Jimmy Butler. There just wasn't a place for Markell long-term in this roster. We kind of knew that. So, yeah, th- there was just no chance that this was that Markell, I thought, was going to be on their team next year, given the Tobias Harris deal, which we should talk about later on in the context of some of these other small forward trades that we saw Definitely. yesterday. But yeah, I think that this is about as good a return as what Philadelphia could have hoped. They're actually recouping quite a bit of value. Like Jonathan Simmons will seriously help them this year. Like he genuinely will be useful for them. Uh, the Oklahoma city pick, like we said, we think that probably transfers next year. And then finally they get a second round pick here. That is pretty beneficial given the fact that Orlando probably not making the playoffs next year, probably not making it this year. You know, it's, this is, this is nice. I I actually really like what Philly has done here, despite the fact that Markel, I I mean, like I'm, I think this is a good flyer for Orlando too. Like I actually get this on both sides. No, I actually like this deal. Honestly, like again, I didn't know what Fultz's value was. It was hard to really assess him. <laughs> we talked about this with the Prospects podcast. It was insanely hard to say, what is this guy really worth value-wise moving forward? Just because we don't really know. And uh, it, it looks like, I mean, a first-round pick is good. I mean, Philadelphia did well here late first for him, recouping some talent, getting another asset to throw in a potential uh, minor trade. We'll kind of see what they do in the offseason or whatnot. I thought it was a good return for them. And then for Orlando, they're one of the teams that has to take bets on these guys because they just don't have them long term. They need someone to fit next to their front court. They have so much invested in Gordon, Isaac, and Bamba. Bamba, of course, with the injury, depending if they repay Vucevic. They just need more guard play. So definitely a talent play for them. I, I think that it's maybe a little bit rich because of the first rounder, but it's Oklahoma City's pick. Top 20 protected, like you noted. I, I don't think that's a too high of a cost. Uh, uh, even though, again, I can't really put a precise value on Fultz because we, we really don't know what to expect moving forward. 
Yeah, the funniest thing is that I think the Sixers owned this pick before, right? I, that sounds is, right. I, I can't this, remember where. <laughs> isn't this the Pasechnik pick? Oh, it could be. Because they, they yeah, got that right. they got the Jeremy Grant. It's the pick they got for Jeremy Grant, right? And then they traded it to Orlando for Pasechnik. Yes, that's what it is. Yeah, very bizarre path that that pick has taken. Um, <laughs> yeah, I like this for both sides. Like you know what? Like There are a lot of trades here this year that I have a pretty strong feeling on. I like this for both sides. I think it's a good dice roll for a team that has needed a point guard for so many years in Orlando, it seems like. And yep. basically since Jameer Nelson left, it feels like. And then for Philly, they get a guy who can help them this year while they're trying to get to the finals. They get a guy or they get a first round pick, which is honestly, I had no idea. Like you said, I had no idea what Markel Fultz's trade value was. So to get a rotation player, a first round pick and a second round pick, I'm comfortable with that. And this might really really not work out for Orlando but it's just an extra first round pick that they got for really not much so it, yeah I think this is fine yeah and I think also they have to keep Terrence Ross and, and Orlando's still probably trying to make the playoffs I think with Clifford and making that last second push with how well Vucevic has played this year like keeping Terrence Ross was huge because he's like their best player off the bench so that that was a good add-in for them because I think that was kind of what the deal is expected to be was Markel for Terrence. We don't know about the compensation, maybe a second rounder. So getting a first and then trading Jonathan Simmons, you can kind of see the trade-off happening for Orlando. They're like, we'd rather stay with a better player right now. We'll give you this Oklahoma City pick, which is top 20 protected for the next two, or from 2020 to 2022, turns into two seconds in 22 and 23. So they kind of value Terrence Ross's short-term potentially more than having this pick long-term. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a fan of this. This makes sense for both te- both sides. I keep saying that, but like, I just really like this idea. <laughs> um, because I think the small forwards are going to be kind of a longer conversation, uh, and we have now seven minutes until the deadline, so we're going to have you know quite a few more uh, deals probably go down and, and quite a few more Woj bombs. Let's talk about the Nick Miritich deal next. So that's a bit of a complicated trade because it ended up being a three-team deal. What I've got it down as currently is New Orleans is going to get Jason Smith, Stanley Johnson, and four second-round picks. Milwaukee is going to get Nikola Miritich, and Detroit is going to get Thon Maker. That sounds correct to you, right? That looks correct from what I'm seeing, yes. So my immediate reaction to this is... I like it a lot for Milwaukee, obviously. Uh, it, you know, yes. Miritich is just an awesome fit for what they're looking for. Uh, they now have just a million options to space the floor around Giannis. Uh, they can throw Giannis at the four next to any of Nikola Miritich, Brooke Lopez, uh, you know, DJ Wilson, even. And you're going to be getting some sort of floor spacing around him. And then obviously they have, uh, they can throw out like multi big lineups around Giannis. If they wanted to play Giannis at like the three, which is weird, but you could throw out something like Miritich Lopez, Giannis Middleton and Brogdon or something. If you wanted to go super big, if like a team was playing way under on Eric Bledsoe and just like kind of clogging things up that way. It's a very, interesting kind of deal just in terms of creating more flexibility for what he can do 
Oh, 100%. I love this deal for Milwaukee. I mean, they're just enhancing their firepower this year. They're kind of going all in without really having to, which is awesome. You're getting a player of Nikola's stature who is, if you remember in the playoffs last year, he was absolutely incredible in that first round against the Blazers. Like him and Davis absolutely wrecked those guys. So getting him in a versatile lineup where they, I mean, Bud is so good at utilizing floor spacers in the front court. So putting him next to Giannis, like you noted, gives them lineup versatility. Miritich is just really good. I think he has a little bit of divisiveness on Twitter. People are like, oh, is he actually that good? I think he is. I think he's a quality starter in the NBA. And if you get him on this roster, he's just a tailor-made fit. He can space on the floor from the corner. He can attack you off the dribble. Just more versatile for arguably one of the most versatile rosters in the league now. Um, they have DJ Wilson who can play the four, more defensive lineups. They're just getting a lot of guys around Giannis and more playoff personnel because I think Miritich is really a good fit in the playoffs. And by the way, I, I love the fact, too, that Miritich has shown it in the playoffs, too. Like, he yes. was really good last season in the playoffs for uh, New Orleans. Like, th- those lineups where he played next to Anthony Davis as the 4-5 just absolutely destroyed Portland. So, uh, you know, if he can show that with Anthony Davis and show that that is a viable potential lineup, it's very similar, I think, to the potential Giannis Nikola Miritich lineup. It, it, and, you know, again, they still have Brooke Lopez. This, it just gives them all sorts of flexibility. I am a fan. Oh, 100%. Yeah, it gives you short-term value, and they have his bird rights now. I think they're a little bit under the tax. I think they stayed about, um, I think Bobby Marks has them 966000 under the yeah. tax, which is good. Getting his bird rights long-term, that's huge. And the cost wasn't severe. I mean, Thon was on his way out anyway, going to Detroit. Um, so it's, now they just flip Stanley Johnson essentially for Miritich. I think it makes a lot of sense for the Bucks. You're looking at short-term value and you're looking at potentially re-signing Miritich long-term, but I think right now it's more about what he gives you in the playoffs this year. So I agree with that totally. I will also just say that they open up a roster spot as well, which is yes. an awesome idea for them. Uh, my favorite guy is to bring the Lopez brothers back together. I think they could use just <laughs> one more true big guy. They still have Tony Snell to defend the wing. They still have Malcolm Brogdon and Eric Bledsoe and, you know, Dante DiVincenzo, if they want to bust him out of, uh, you know, the glass in the playoffs. I think he has shown in the past that he can be a guy who doesn't ever uh, wilt in terms of the pressure. But my kind of take overall on their deal is that they could use just one more big bodied semi-mobile center and I know that Robin Lopez isn't necessarily like this incredible you know player who you're going to be able to switch on an island on a guard one through five but I think he fits their defensive scheme where they tend to go under pick and roll coverages especially on middle ball screens pretty well yeah I mean for me why not why not get him on the roster you just give yourself another big option I mean Henson's probably not going to give you minutes there uh Ursan, we don't know what the deal with Ursan is he's kind of redundant more with Miritich so just get more personnel more depth on your roster you don't have Thon now so yeah I, I can totally see that yeah o- overall I'm a fan of everything here uh you know for uh Detroit they get Thon Maker for Stanley Johnson I think anytime that you can get just get more player control probably makes sense, right? It's a good change of scenery, potential option for Thon. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Detroit just getting that asset long term makes some sense. Uh, Stanley Johnson, 
being a restricted free agent this year makes some sense for the Pelicans, just getting that cost control. How long have we said that they need a small forward, a guy like yeah. that? And they at least take a dice roll on someone who I'm not particularly high on as far as how he's developed. But you're not going to get a lot of shots at these guys. So if you're trading Miritich, um, they got four seconds back, like you noted. Getting Stanley Johnson's restricted free agency rights at least gives them an avenue to getting a bigger wing. And I think he's a four, to be honest, don't you? Ideally, yeah. I mean, he's more of like a combo, but yeah, from a skill perspective, he's more of a four, but just giving them, I guess, a bigger body defensively where he can guard kind of those bigger wing type combo four types. So, and I'll say this too, they get four second round picks. I, I would imagine that, you know, Utah might've been offering a late one. I would imagine that Portland might've been offering a late one. Uh, I actually kind of like just taking four picks, especially when one of them or two of them are going to be Wizards picks and the Wizards... Oh boy, we'll talk about that we'll in a minute. Get there. Uh, oh boy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just look at this and I think that it is uh, a better dice roll to take two, two early seconds, two late seconds than just one late first. Yeah, so if I'm reading this right, Denver's 2019 second rounder and then Washington's 2020, 2021, those could be really valuable, like you noted, and then Milwaukee's 2020. So overall, I think it was a good return. I mean, it, ideally, you'd like to get a first-round pick for Miritich short-term, but maybe you take the quantity of seconds like you noted here, and who really knows? It's hard to get that much value out of an expiring contract. That's, I was kind of surprised that Tobias Harris fetched that much, but that's a different situation. We'll get to that later. But yeah, I, I thought every team did kind of well here. It made sense across the board. I'm not as high on Thon for Detroit, but at least they're taking a talent play. And they don't really, I guess they just lost faith in Stanley Johnson a little bit. And maybe they thought that they could get more out of Thon Maker, even though, I mean, he is playing the position that they have the most strength in with Blake Griffin and with Andre Drummond. So we'll kind of see how that plays out moving forward. So just while we wait for, you know, in case there are more trades coming in, we're officially at 12 right now. So, you know, we're three o'clock Eastern time. So I would imagine that maybe a trade or two might sprinkle in later. Let's talk about Tyler Johnson and Wayne Ellington to uh, Miami. We still have not yet heard, by the way, if Wayne Ellington is moving elsewhere, which strikes me as odd. But uh Tyler Johnson and Wayne Ellington from Miami to Phoenix. Uh, Ryan Anderson from Phoenix to Miami. Miami obviously just trying to reduce their uh, bill for next season, I-, I would guess, is their idea here. What is your take on this? I think from Miami's perspective, it's exactly what you noted this year. It's lessening their tax bill. Are they under the tax? Have we been able to confirm that yet? I can't recall if I've seen that yet. Um, that is a good question. Let me look that up while you keep just kind of giving random thoughts. Sure. So you have Tyler Johnson. From a contract standpoint, I think that's it's pretty clear what this is. Tyler Johnson... Next year, player option. Remember that uh, arenas provision kicks in, so it spikes to $19.2 million next year. Um, Of course, that was the case. This year as well, you incur that debt, but long-term, I think they just wanted to get off that money. Um, Wayne Ellington wasn't really playing in their rotation. I've watched Miami recently. Not very good team right now. $6.2 million. Getting Ryan Anderson back, again, I think this is purely financial from that end. Anderson, of course, lessened his guarantee amount last year um, when he got traded to the Suns because he wanted uh, a hope in starting, and that didn't really manifest long-term, but he lessened his contract guarantee I don't know how it's going to play out with Miami next year, but that's the incentive from Miami. And then from Phoenix, they needed another ball handler. They needed another guy in the backcourt, and they're looking at their roster and saying, Ryan Anderson's not going to play for us. Let's go get Tyler Johnson. Um, 
the start the difference in salary next year isn't stark. So just give us another ball handler so he can play. I think they're en- going to end up waving Wayne Ellington. We'll kind of see how that transpires. He's going to have a market um, as far as buyout for sure. We'll see if they can trade him. It doesn't seem like that's going to be the avenue they're going to go. But yeah, I think it kind of makes sense from both sides. Tax relief from Miami uh, on that side, and then for Phoenix, just getting a ball handler for that amount of money that you weren't going to want to pay Ryan Anderson next year. And ideally, Phoenix would have gotten a second rounder or something like that for helping Miami. But I can see the incentive just getting Tyler Johnson basically at no cost at all. So for what it's worth, Albert Namad has the Miami Heat very close to the tax line, but not quite under it yet. Uh, he does have them saving $8 million in luxury taxes right now. And then Ryan Anderson gave up some money to go to Phoenix. So I, I want to say yes. that he has like... Uh, like I think his salary is what, like twenty million next year. I think it's only a fifteen million guarantee. So if Miami wanted to buy that out, it would be relatively cheap for them to do so. This is just kind of a deal that's there for me, to be honest. I, I get why Phoenix wants another ball handler, and I think that there is something funky where, like, like does Tyler Johnson like get paid early or something, so like the Suns don't have to pay him a ton of money within his deal like is it like an auto porter situation where they gave him a lot of money up front on the contract i can't remember if they front loaded the deal as far as that goes obviously the arena's provision spikes this year and then next year but i don't know i can't remember if they they pay him a certain amount before like october 31st or whatever the first date is i can't recall right um so yeah i'm just kind of looking through so there's the, so Albert Namad has the Suns effectively getting Tyler Johnson for free for the rest of 2018-19 and for $3.6 million in 2019-20, assuming that he exercises his $19.2 million player option and the Suns would have waived Ryan Anderson to capitalize on his $15.6 million partial guarantee. Um, I'm not entirely sure how all of that works. <laughs> this is the convoluted part of the cba here as far as that goes um, this is like yeah. deep this I is mean, deep weed cba that like yes. i have read the entire bar- <laughs> collective bargaining agreement i don't know what the fuck's going on here <laughs> yeah this this is one that you kind of have to go back over <laughs> even if you have read the cba like we both have this is the one that you have to kind of go back over the for the specific facts but last note for me on the miami side again like you noted Ryan Anderson next year has that partial for $15.64 million. I, I don't know if they're going to keep that. They might stretch him over that amount. I, I would assume they probably would let it play out because they're already full cap, it looks like, and why have it on your, you know, on your docket moving forward when you're the Heat and you can have free agent cap space in 2020, for example. But again, Ryan reduces the amount to align with... Um, the night, the brand night contract, right? Because that's Phoenix didn't want to lose any cap room initially in the offseason. So Phoenix doing this, Basically saying like we're not going to use cap space for this. We're going to get um, we're going to get Tyler Johnson. We don't think we're going to be able to get someone like a multiple ball handler kind of guy in free agency necessarily. So they, they are utilizing their cap space a little bit here, even though it is kind of similar. It's about four million dollars more than what they would have to pay Ryan Anderson unless they stretched him. So Jabari Bird, uh, who is out while dealing with his ridiculous, terrible court case that is happening. Uh, he like got it's a domestic violence situation and then he got charged again with like intimidating witnesses i think as well uh he has been traded from boston to atlanta boston essentially just gave them money atlanta sent back a pick that'll never transfer um 
the deal here is Boston wants to open up a roster spot, basically. Uh, that just happened, and that is that is worth at least mentioning. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we should also mention that all the mainstream guys, Woj, Shams, are reporting that deadline is passed and Anthony Davis will not be moved. So we kind of knew that already, but just officially, that was like the main headline point of this entire trade deadline season. We didn't think he'd get moved for the Lakers deal or for the Knicks, especially after the Knicks made the Porzingis trade, but just that's worth noting as well as we're not getting Anthony Davis moved um, pre-deadline. So let's uh, talk about that later on. Let's talk about that and finish with that, I think. Um, The thing I want to talk about next is Washington. Oh, God. Oh, God. Uh, (laughs) So Washington trades Otto Porter to Chicago for Jabari Parker, Bobby Portis, and a second round pick. My initial reaction to that deal was, wow, Chicago picked up just an absolute perfect fit for their future front court and Lowry Markin and Wendell Carter. They got out of the Bobby Portis restricted free agency situation, which, oh, boy, we'll talk about that in a second. (laughs) And then... They get off of the Jabari Parker deal and they only have to give up a second for a guy in Otto Porter that I think he's like legit a top 60 player in the NBA, maybe like borderline top 50 guy in the NBA, right? I'm 100% with you. Yeah. Like, I, I think that we often talk about contracts as being not necessarily more important than they are because they are very important. Being able to get asset value out of something is very important. It's basically the whole reason that Cole and I talk on this podcast. Having said that, I often think that we underrate good players who are slightly overpaid. Like Otto Porter is genuinely an above average starter in the NBA. He's probably overpaid by five or $6 million. Like he he is worth, $18 $18 million a year, $19 million a year, right? Yes, 100%. You're not getting surplus value when you max him out because remember the Nets submitted that offer to get him. So you're not getting any value. He's not like a, a max caliber player in air quotes just because you're not getting any benefit. He's not obviously LeBron or those mainstay guys. But yeah, he, he's an above average starter. So you're losing about you know six, seven million likely. But he's a, I think he's a twenty million dollar a year player. I, I think that he gets that on the open market from basically any team, given positional scarcity of being a bigger kind of combo guard wing type who can really shoot the hell out of the ball. So you're Chicago. You essentially have a pretty clean cap sheet going forward. You have Zach Levine at nineteen and a half million each of the next three years. You have Cristiano Felicio at eight point two million, and then seven point five million in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. That's it. Just I think that like I I think we've talked about that before. I think that's the worst contract like decision in recent NBA history. Like I, I think that that is just the most nonsensical deal that has been given out. But the rest <laughs> of your guys are on rookie scale contracts. Like nobody else is getting real money the rest of the way. Your cap sheet is clean, and it's been proven over the last little while here that you, as Chicago, despite the fact that you have all of the advantages in the world, are not a player in free agency. Like, you just, they just aren't. And it sucks. Like, they should be, but they aren't. They aren't a player in free agency at the highest level. So, I like them using their cap space to get a guy that is a perfect fit in between Zach Levine and Lowry Markinen. He's a good defender. He can knock down threes. 
does all of the little things well. He's an underrated passer, I think. There, there's just a yep. lot to really like about Otto Porter. And additionally, I, I would just kind of point out here as well that, you know, I've seen a lot of people kind of say, oh, he's really fallen off this year. I mean, if you want to believe that a 25-year-old small forward like has fallen off, I guess you can be my guest with that. But I just find it hard to believe that he's any worse than what he was last year as a 24-year-old. And the reason that I say that is he's gone through a toe injury uh, throughout portions of this season. And like they're just a fucking awful team. They're terrible. So... I, I don't know why people are kind of rushing to be like, yeah, Otto Porter has fallen off. I, I just don't really think that's likely. I don't either. It's a terrible situation. We've kind of talked about him with John Wall in the past, and he's he's boosted when Wall hasn't played. I can't remember the splits on that, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. For me, it's just like from a bull standpoint, like what does the opportunity cost? What are you missing out? You already said they're not free agency players. They're not going to draw dynamic talent. Um, this free agency class, a lot of guys, a lot of teams are going to have cap space, and the Bulls aren't a priority right now. They're just not in that situation with their roster. So what are they really sacrificing? And to me, it's nothing. Like their team option for Jabari, they're not picking that up for $20 million. He wasn't even in the rotation for a lot of this year because he can't play defense. Um, so they're missing out on him. Not, not really anything. And then you look forward, Bobby Portis, restricted free agent. Do you want to pay Bobby Portis as your third big behind Wendell Carter and behind Larry Market and the strength of your team? I mean, if he makes $10 million a year, I don't think that's necessarily terrible. But at the same time, it's not like a huge boon for them. So getting a quality starter in one of the hardest positions to fill that in the NBA with Otto Porter – I, I get the argument that Otto Porter helps winning teams. He does. I think that that is his main input is that if you have a really good team, he can really help you because he fills in the edges with his shooting, with his team defense, with his size on the, on the wing. Is he going to help the Bulls win? Maybe not as far as in the bottom line, but he's going to put these guys in position to succeed. He's going to make life easier for Lowry, for Wendell Carter, for Zach Levine. If they get an initiator, which is what this all comes down to, they need a point guard. They need somebody who can set up their offense. They have the other components now, I think, to have a respectable two-way team. They have the defensive personnel. Um, that's a little bit more sketchy. I don't think they're going to be a high-level defense, but they have at least Wendell, and now they have Otto Porter. But offensively, I think it's a really intriguing fit if they can find a point guard. Yeah, I mean, hey, for the rest of this year, they have Chris Dunn. So they should be a lot better yep. defensively throughout the rest of the season than they've been. Yes, that's a great point. Yeah, Dunn is fantastic defensively. So they, they have some interesting personnel there. And again, I don't see any opportunity cost for the Bulls if they weren't going to use this cap space. Like Otto Porter is probably the best they could possibly do in free agency. So getting him yep. already on, on the roster, I think that's a fantastic deal for them. And the other thing too is his contract is going to be continually getting better as yes. the cap rises. Like, yeah, he's probably not worth his money now he's just not it's fine but that's gonna get better and that burden is gonna be lessened a little bit more as the cap goes up so i mean it's gonna go up what to like 113 116 in the last year of this deal right I think it spikes even more than that. I think next year's projected 109, and then it goes to 118 the next year. I don't know about the next year after that, but I think it's supposed to be 118 in 2020. So that's the new projection in September. So they're getting a little bit of a spike there. So yeah, you're right. Otto Porter's deal is going to look better. He, of course, has that player option that year for 28.4. I'm going to be curious to see if he picks that up or not. I would. I, that's always interesting with a younger player because he might say, let's get one more big contract in this market. We'll kind of see how that plays out. But even short term, this is a great deal for Chicago. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the Wizards. 
So I don't understand why oh, the boy. Wizards chose to prioritize what they have prioritized here. So let's assume that Jabari Parker is cap filler because I don't think anyone is paying Jabari Parker $20 million to be on their team next year. Fair? No. Definitely especially, fair. especially the Wizards, where I think their entire goal here is to try and reduce their tax burden long term. So essentially what this is, is, is it's Otto Porter for Bobby Portis and a second round pick. I am the captain of the Bobby Portis fan club. I love Bobby <laughs> Portis. There's no way that he should be the centerpiece for an auto Porter deal. There's just no way, especially when you consider the fact that he is going to be a restricted free agent this summer. And Casey Johnson out of Chicago, a reporter for the sun times, which, which uh, newspaper, right? It's the Chicago times. Maybe I'm not sure. Uh, he, says that Bobby Portis turned down a 40 to $50 million extension this summer and won $16 million a year this offseason. He's not, I don't think he's getting 16 unless Washington just like decides to lose their collective minds. But he's still going to get something like $10 million a year probably. Yeah, it's definitely possible. And considering his age, I don't know. It's it's really tough because he's going to get minutes down the stretch for them. We'll kind of see how he performs and how that factors into his free agency. I mean, this whole deal was Washington trying to duck the tax. Essentially, that's what it was. They, I mean, they, they had an ancillary trade. We'll talk about it a little bit. Mark Keith Morris coming out. So that trade off got them actually to dip below. But trading Otto Porter for me for the rights to pay Bobby Portis, who's a third big, and potentially be a, a kind of a valuable third big. I think he can score, yeah. so that at least he has that going. So he has that ability. But trading Otto Porter to, to basically duck the tax and get Bobby Portis's restricted free agency rights, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I do know. It's, it's a bad deal. I mean, frankly, I, I would not have dealt Otto Porter for cap relief. I think they could have done better in the summer, especially when teams had more cap space. I think there was going to be better deals available. And if they want to deduct the tax, you look at someone like Trevor Ariza and maybe you look at someone like the Kings and say they need a small forward. Maybe we'll even attach a second rounder. Who, who, I don't even know if they'd have to do that, but the Kings had a ton of cap space before the Harrison Barnes deal. I don't know if that deal was available, but there are other options, I think, to deduct the tax this year than trade Otto Porter for, in my opinion, like 20 cents on the dollar. They didn't get really anything of value for him, and I thought that he could have been a value play. I thought that the da Dallas Mavericks probably would have made this deal if they didn't make the Porzingis deal. I think they would have traded those expiring contracts for Otto Porter. That would have been an option, but I, I, they could have done better. I mean, that's flat out. I, I did not agree with Washington's process here. Yeah, so if you're Washington, you're coming away with like a far out second round pick and Bobby Portis for Otto Porter. I guess that they've needed a center for a while, right? Like that that's kind of the value here. Um, so now just kind of looking down the road at their cap sheet, right? Uh, they still have this John Wall extension, which doubles his salary oh, starting God. next season. Um, that might be, honestly, really quick, that might be one of the worst contracts in the history of the league, and I hate saying that because Wall, sucks. he's going to get absolutely shit on now because now he's going to be remembered as this guy who's overpaid, this guy who's always injured. At his peak, very talented player, but this contract, this is another one of those designated player things, strikes again in the bad way as far as getting a lot of Albatross contract on your books for the long term. It's just a really, really bad deal, man. So let's say that they sign Bobby Portis long term for like, I don't know, $11 million a year, which I think is less than what Bobby wants, probably slightly more than I would pay. So let's say like somewhere in the middle, right? Okay. Um, so let's say $11 million 
starting next season. Um, they're still at right around like 95 million guaranteed to Porter, Beal, Wall, Jan Mahinmi. Uh, that they go up to like 101 with Dwight Howard steal. And then additionally, uh, they have Sadoransky's contract situation to deal with. He has about a $6 million cap hold. Uh, Thomas Bryant, they have to deal with his situation, if I remember correctly, right? Uh, he is a free agent, I think. Yes, restricted, yeah. Yep. Likely. And then now they have said that they want to re-sign Trevor Ariza to a deal. And they want to re-sign Jeff Green to a deal. Having said that, they can only re-sign Jeff Green to like slightly under two million a year, right? Um, just because he's not he has non-bird rights. But Trevor right. Ariza, they, he's going to finesse the Wizards into twelve million dollars a year. So they're going to be over the cap again. They're going to be nearing the luxury tax probably, and they're going to do this again next year probably. They're going to have to try and duck the tax again next year probably. This is incredible incredible maneuvering from the wizards because essentially they are trading auto porter for bobby portis and are gonna have to deal with the same issues again next season they're just locking themselves into likely a worse talent <laughs> combination as far as if you pay trevor Ariza long term Ariza has not been good this year like flat out he has he has taken a step down in my opinion I don't know if he gets that back long term. We'll see. But I would not prioritize Trevor Ariza over Otto Porter. I think that's kind of insane at this point. You know, they could pay Jeff Green with the mid-level or whatever and not non-bird rights. We'll kind of see where that goes. But the fact that this is even the train of thought that they're like, yeah, we need to pay Jeff Green, Trevor Ariza long term. Like that's and you're giving up Otto Porter for basically the right to pay a third big. I, I don't know, man. I just think that the flaw, the process is flawed. If you want to get out of this whole thing, I think you just start to rebuild. You don't lock yourselves into a less advantageous situation, which is kind of what they seem to be doing here. Like Bradley Beal, like free Bradley Beal, for Christ's sake. This is unreal. Like the guy is an all-star level player, and they have nobody around him. If Wall's going to miss all next season as expected, like what are they really trying to accomplish here? I honestly don't know. So let's talk about how they got under the tax as well. So that deal, the Otto Porter deal got them close. And then Markeith Morris for Wes Johnson got them under the tax. I just like that deal's fine. You know, like it's okay. I believe that they paid a second round pick to do that. Correct. I think that's right. Yeah. I mean, the Pelicans had to have gotten something out of that. I think there was a second round. I just don't know which one. So like the, I think the wizards, once we're going to like kind of, add it all up here. Like they've given up what, like three second round picks to duck the tax and they've done it by getting a worse core and they've done it by trading Kelly Oubre. Like we should remember the fact that they traded Kelly Oubre for Trevor Ariza. Oubre has looked pretty good by the way, uh, since moving to Phoenix. I just don't, I don't see the plan here. I don't see like they're in a tough spot with the John Wall contract. I get that. They they really are in deep shit. Like they might be in the least advantageous situation in the entire NBA because over the course of the next what uh you know 4 years their salary cap is going to have somewhere between 35 and 40% gone because of John Wall. And hopefully John Wall can come back in 2020-2021 and be awesome. But this is 
this is dangerous right now. Like they're in a danger zone right now. They are. And I think they could have handled this much better. I mean, I would have looked to, you don't want to trade a young guy like Bradley Beal necessarily, but I would honestly try to capitalize and kind of aggressively rebuild on the fly here and try to get picks maybe this summer for Otto Porter if they would have held on to him. I think they could have gotten a ton for Bradley Beal, frankly, and I think that would have made a lot of sense for them because they're not going anywhere. You know what I mean? Like they're in this dreaded middle. They could be pretty bad next year even with Beal. It depends on who they resign. If they resign Zadaransky, he'll help. He'll kind of bridge the gap there. But honestly, it's like, what is your ultimate end game? Do you try and do, you know, be bad next year to get a pick, and then you pair that with John Wall long term? I just don't like these teams that don't have a clear cut avenue of how they're approaching things. You can't just like make deals just to make them, especially when they don't make any fucking sense. Frankly, like it, you have to pick some kind of window to perform, and I, I don't think the Wizards know what they're doing. Yeah. I think that their best bet is to trade Bradley Beal this summer. Uh, to me, the spot that stands out right now is the Lakers. Uh, given the fact that Anthony Davis is not going to be dealt, it seems like, uh, to the Lakers, at least until maybe after. So right, what it would take for the Lakers to get Anthony Davis now is it would take the Knicks not getting number one overall, and it would take Boston not offering Jason Tatum. Right? like that. That's kind of yep. where we're at. So... It seems like the Lakers more likely than not are not going to get Anthony Davis. I still think they're in the mix, but they're probably more on the side of not getting him. So now where do we go? Kawhi Leonard seems, you know, you hear more rumblings about the Clippers than you do the Lakers. Uh, Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, those guys are on the Sixers. Maybe they decide not to resign in Philly. We'll find out later. Um, Kevin Durant, you hear New York rumblings constantly. Shout out. Ethan Strauss, uh, just like Kevin Durant did last night. Uh, what, what other free agents? We have Kemba Walker, maybe. Like, Kemba is an interesting one. Maybe you can try and pair Kemba Walker, Bradley Beal, and LeBron. That's be, interesting to me. That'd be fun, right? Uh, Chris Middleton has come out and said he's planning on re-signing, for the, re-signing with the Milwaukee Bucks currently. So, who is your who are your targets here? And I think Bradley Beal makes a lot of sense to move off of the Lakers young guys and cash those in for Bradley Beal for two years. A hundred percent. And that's what I would do, frankly. I mean the thing if, about yeah, Ingram is I'm sorry to interrupt, but if you're the Wizards, oh I think this actually makes sense. Yes, a hundred percent. I just don't know if that's their plan, right? We don't know if that's like what their intent is. They could just be holding on to Bradley Beal to hold on to him. But what I would have done is hold on to Otto Porter if this was the deal you're going to get in this summer. Kind of finagle both and say, okay, this doesn't make sense to keep these guys. You know, they're in yep. their primes, the early part of their primes. Let's try to get picks. Um, let's pl- let the market play out because teams are going to have cap space. The Lakers might strike out. You might get a really a, a good deal there. You know, and I, I don't think this is the time to sell. Of course, they held on the Beal. I think that he's going to have value whenever. So as long as that's their plan, which I have, you know, a lot of reservations if it actually is. Like they could just hold on to Beal, and he's the only guy that's really a plus on their on their roster as far as a guy who contributes to winning. And I just don't think it makes any sense to have Beal in isolation. It makes far more sense to, to take him and turn him into what I think could be a really nice return. So the Beal situation, though, is separate from the Porter situation. They're tied, but this decision with Porter, I just keep coming back to opportunity cost. I just think that if you wait until this summer with so many teams that will have salary cap space, 
that's just an easier deal, man. Like that, that you can make that happen in the summer when someone like Dallas, we just talked about Dallas, Dallas trades Harrison Barnes, right? Dallas has a lot of cap space this summer. You could easily make a deal with Dallas, get a similar return here and they have cap space. You could get better from Dallas. Probably they have the cap space to do this uh, and, and just take Otto Porter in. It, it just is an easy, it's an easy move. I think. And, and like, you know, you, you look around the Pacers could have been another situation that, you know, they could have offered uh, something like Aaron holiday or something like that. Um, you know, I, I don't think they're offering like Damanis Sabonis or anything. Uh, you know, like there, there are just so many teams like the Kings again, like before they make the Harrison Barnes deal, they could have been a team that would have been in on this because they have salary cap space. There's just a lot of teams out there. Utah Jazz are another great example of a team that's going to have cap space, has a place yep. to slot people in. There are just a lot of examples where I think that there are a there's just such an opportunity cost to cashing in for Bobby Portis right now. 100%. I think that's the key. If they're getting something good right now, if they're getting like a good first-round pick for Otto Porter, fine. Like I, I, I get that if that's the thought process, but they're not getting anything really that valuable. I don't think the right to pay Bobby Porras is worth doing at this juncture. I think they could have held off, and there would have been options this summer. I'm pretty confident on that, looking at how many teams have cap space, looking at positional needs. There's a lot of point guards on the market. How many like combo forward wing types are there? And, and ones that shoot like... Um, Otto Porter. So I, I just think it was a really poorly timed deal and they really undersold on, on Porter. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, you know, shout out them for getting under the tax. I just think that the easier way to do it was trade Trevor Ariza for something like Tony Snell uh, in like a second, pick up a second round asset, keep Otto Porter, trade Porter and Beal in the summer. Uh, you could have moved Sam Decker like and given cash considerations to another team, avoided the tax in this would have just been very simple. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Let's talk about the other small forward trade that happened. Harrison Barnes for Justin Jackson and Zach Randolph. I like this deal for Sacramento. I, I think that we can talk about like opportunity costs. Would you rather do this? Or if you're Sacramento, would you rather do Willie Cauley Stein, Zach Randolph and a second round pick for, uh, for, Auto Porter, which one makes more sense to you? I would rather have Auto Porter just because I think he's a better player than Harrison Barnes and gives them more shooting, um, which I think that would be awesome on that Sacramento team. And I don't, I don't know if they're going to be able to pay Willie Cauley Stein after this year anyway, considering how their bigs are playing with Bagley coming on, Giles giving them good minutes. So I, I would have taken Auto Porter, but I don't think that there wasn't a huge cost here, right? I mean, you're t- dealing about Justin Jackson, who they were kind of iffy on. Randolph wasn't playing, so they didn't pay a lot for Harrison Barnes. My issue with them is like, are they going to pay Harrison Barnes long term, right? Because he has a player option after this year, and we've already seen reports that they're going to try to reconstruct that if he opts out, get him to a longer term deal. That's what I'm worried about from Sacramento standpoint. I mean, it would just depend on what the deal is, right? Like he has a 25. It's like right around 25 with him too, right? The option. Yes, it's it's really high. That's what I'm kind of worried. If he does opt out, you'd think if they're negotiating, he's not going to take that much less. It's not like he's going to opt out and take $10 million a year, right? He might opt out and take like $18 million a year or something, and that would just kind of be – I'd be a little dicey on that. So this kind of gets back into Porter versus Barnes. I like the fit on court for Porter more than I like Barnes because Barnes – 
does like to hold the ball. He does like to hold the ball. And I think Porter just would have been a more seamless fit with Buddy Heald and De'Aaron Fox is their perimeter guys, right? Having said that, this deal gives them more optionality than a Porter deal. It gives them a bit more uh, ability to move on if things don't work out. This is essentially going to be a very real, you know, what, three-month tryout, two-month tryout for Harrison Barnes to see how this goes. They have put themselves in a situation where if he doesn't play well, he just opts in, takes his $25 million, and hits the market in the next summer as... Honestly, if you've seen the 2020 free agency situation, he will be one of the 10 best free agents available in 2020, (laughs) even if he has a bad year. If he has a good year for Sacramento in 2020, he has a chance to cash in like crazy because that is a terrible free agency market with a cap rising spike. So I look at this and I think it's a reasonable move for Sacramento. I agree with you, though. They need to... If it's like... If it's two additional years at 17 million, so like, or maybe like 18 million, I would get that. So like he gets 25, 18, 18. I I wouldn't like hate that. I'd be worried about anything beyond that. Yeah, that's my reservation with this deal for Sacramento is just how much are they going to invest in Barnes long term? I think he does give them some interesting components, more of like an isolation wing score, which yeah. they don't really have. I mean, they have more guard play, so they have awesome guard play. Like their perimeter play with Fox healed um, doesn't really do that much pick and roll. He's more of like the off movement shooter slash he can get his points in isolation off the dribble and stuff like that. But Bogdanovich for them is, is fantastic. But I, I do think that Barnes gives them a different dynamic. Porter is more of just an off ball guy. He's more of like a fill in the gaps. So maybe they get a little bit more isolation scoring. For me, it just comes down to, I don't know if I trust Sacramento with their cap space long term. I don't know how much their cap space is, is worth, even though they're better and, and they're fun to play with. But I mean, in the past, we've seen George Hill, Zach Randolph, those contracts did not work out. So when they've had that space, I think if you put a guy like Harrison Barnes, who is younger, how much are they really going to to pay him? Because again, I don't think they're they're not a destination market, even though they are super fun. I love watching the Kings, but it, I would have probably rather taken the certainty from my vantage point of Otto Porter's salary because you know you're, what you're getting for the next two years or so. So I think if you're comparing those two guys, I would have preferred again. I would have preferred Porter. But they didn't give up anything, really. Like Justin Jackson hasn't been great for them. I think he's a better yeah. fit on Dallas next to Luka. So the, the opportunity cost, the price was not high here. So, and for Dallas here, I, I do think that the deal is slightly more interesting for Sacramento than Dallas. Dallas essentially just gets Justin Jackson and opens up cap space. It's exactly right. I think it's the cap space that is really paramount here because they can't right. open up close to max money this summer. A lot of people didn't know if they could do that. Of course, you avoid the Harrison Barnes player option scenario just in case he opts in. Then you lose that space. And getting Justin Jackson, I don't think that was the primary incentive of this deal by any means for the Mavericks. It's just like, okay, we'll get somebody on the side. And I think the important thing for them was the cap space. So I loved it from Dallas' standpoint because they can really immediately add to their core around Chris Stapps and around Luka. Um, this free agency class is pretty good. There's going to be some options. We'll kind of see which avenue they pursue. Uh, we've heard a little bit of Nikola Vucevic. I, I wouldn't like that, frankly. I, I don't hate that. agree with investing. Yeah, I would too. So <laughs> I'm not in on that idea, but I think the, the thought process from Dallas is pretty good here. Yeah, I think it makes sense uh, in every way. I'm like trying to think of 
uh, you know, just free agents in general, like who are the guys that they could go after? Um, Kemba is obviously going to be out there. You know, they're probably not a player for Kyrie. Eric Bledsoe is interesting as like the secondary point guard next to Luca. Um, I wouldn't want to like go crazy paying him, but that doesn't seem terrible to me. Uh, just kind of looking around here. Like it's, it's hard to find perimeter options that could be connected with Dallas though. I think if they could get Middleton, I don't think Middleton's leaving Milwaukee, but that's a guy yeah. that would fit really well. And they could get, if they could get Sadoransky, I know that's not like a get, get, but I would love him on that team. I think he's an awesome fit next to Luca as a ball. Agreed. mover. They just need guys who can, they can, they need guys who can pass and let Luca kind of like cut off the ball a little bit and play that way. So I think there's some options for them, but the key here is like, they actually have options now. So you don't have to worry about Barnes picking up his option. You're not having any kind of short-term ability to add to their roster. So from that vantage point, I think this is a huge win for Dallas, even though, again, they're not getting a ton back. I'm not a huge believer in Justin Jackson, but he's at least a wing who can play off the ball, cut, shoot. Um, So I I like the deal a lot from Dallas. You know what would be super interesting? Say that Al Horford decides, fuck this, I don't want to be like fodder to be in like an Anthony Davis trade and opts out and goes to Dallas for like three years, 20 or three years, 60 million. It's not bad. I mean, again, I think this comes down to paying two bigs that much money, but when you, when your bigs are Porzingis and Horford, I think that you can kind of make do a little bit there, especially if you can fill in the gaps around them. So that's a really interesting idea. I like that a lot more than the Vucevic idea, just because I feel like it's much more tenable defensively because of Horford. He's, he's a monster and, and like his offense would fit really really well next to Luca as far as like a pick and pop guy you can have Porzingis spacing out as like the stretch five so th- there's a, enough versatility there where I think that makes sense but I would try again to align going forward the age with Porzingis and with Luca. I think they got to build this thing they can't just jump all in on the now because people were already giving them shit for that I'm um, trading all these picks you're going all in now you could have just rebuilt this over time with Luca. so I Ideally, they get another piece that aligns with the core of Luca and Kristaps, but it's Horford. So I, I would make an exception there. Yeah. And like just looking through like restricted free agents, there aren't like a crazy number that make a whole lot of sense to me. You know what I mean? Like who, who are some yeah. of the ones that really like if they could go get D'Angelo Russell, that would be very interesting to me. But there's only one, one ball at like the same time. Right. So. Does, does that work super well with, uh, you know, with Luca? I, I think it probably does. I think Russell's a good enough shooter to where he can play off the ball. And you can have like that multiple ball handler thing because that's kind of what Dallas yeah. did. I don't think the net, I don't think the Nets let him go now. I, I, honestly, I think that Agreed. him making the All Star team and them developing him that point has been made. So, but, but I do think that fit is, is actually works. I mean, defensively, it's again kind of troublesome because you need a point guard who can defend point guards at a high level. That's kind of something you look for with Dallas because Luca's never going to do that, and Russell's not that adept there either. So you really have to double down on your defensive infrastructure if that happens. But something that they can at least entertain. Uh, The last one I want to point out is the fit that I've been clamoring for in New York for so many years. Julius Randall, if he opts out. Yeah. I mean like Julius Randall, like that is to me just an absolute perfect one because do you know where Julius Randall is from? Hit me. He's from Dallas, (laughs) Texas. There you go. So that's, that's where I'm I'm at. Uh, That makes a lot of sense to me though. He's been awesome. By the way, I, I'm with you on that. I think that that would make a great deal of sense. He's more of the 
the age of Luca and Chris Stapps in yep. that sphere. So you can build forward with them. I love the fit next to Porzingis. That would be one that I would consider again. I would be honestly surprised if they didn't pursue that in some capacity. Yeah, I think that that's a really, really good move for them. Um, the other thing I want to talk about with the small forwards is I talked about the Tobias Harris deal yesterday with Dave Dufour, and I was a little bit more skeptical than Dave was on the fit. Uh, like I had mentioned kind of opportunity costs. Like if you're Philadelphia, the deal that I specifically mentioned was I would imagine the Clippers would just want to get off of the Gallinari money. So would you rather just do like uh, Chandler, you know, Muscala in a second for Danilo Gallinari instead of having to give up a lot of assets for Tobias Harris, who is expiring this off season, you know, the Clippers accept that deal because they want to get off of Gallinari's money. The, uh, Sixers do it because he gives gives them another elite shooter who can be insulated defensively around their defensive trio of Simmons, Butler, and Embiid. Then you look at the price tags for Otto Porter and Harrison Barnes, both of whom likely at least have a year left on their contract at a cost-controlled number of $25 million. And I wonder if the Harris deal doesn't look great in hindsight. Yeah, that was really fascinating when the Otto Porter news broken is like that's the cost like on philadelphia when like he's gonna be tobias is gonna be off the ball a lot he's gonna be an off ball score he can initiate at times he can shoot off the dribble he does that a lot for the clippers or at least he did this year as far as running pick and roll but a lot of the times that's gonna be simmons that's gonna be Embiid in the post he's gonna be spacing off the ball so if you're looking at roll and optimizing that are you gonna really gonna be able to optimize tobias harris to the, to the point where the difference between him and Otto porter is significant i think that Otto porter is a better defensive player than tobias is i mean it's not like a huge gap but I, I do think the auto porter is better on that end and then offensively if you're just looking for predominantly a, a floor spacer I, I think that you can make an argument for the cost that was received that they would have been better off trading for auto porter assuming they they had this intel and like it was actually possible for them which it should have been but I, I do think there's a legit argument for this so like would the if you're washington would you rather have fultz the expiring wilson chandler money in a second from philadelphia or would you rather have Jabari Parker, Bobby Portis in a second. Oh, Fultz for me, just because I'd, I'd take a, a dice roll at the talent. I think yeah, that's where I, Washington is. They need, to, yeah, good. I would too. And you have the uh, injury with John Wall. So you're actually going to have time to give him yep. actual minutes on the floor and see where this is. Yeah, 100%. I think there's a, a case to be made because if they made that trade in theory, let's say that exists. You're not giving up the Miami pick, which is one of the most coveted picks in the entire league right now, even though I don't, I'm not really sure if Miami is going to be that bad as people think in 20, 2021 because just their, like, their history of that franchise, which is just otherwise with Spolstra. But the value right now as a trade asset is high. Like that's, a, that's at least something that a team can talk themselves into and say we're getting a shot potentially at a top five pick potentially, right? And yeah. trading, that, trading that for Tobias, it's not like a shoe-in. I think it's really going to help them this year. But Tobias is an unrestricted free agent. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of uncertainty here moving forward. They, they kind of went all in on uncertainty. You have Jimmy Butler, who's going to probably opt out of his player option um, for next year, too. So it's not like it's a shoe and you're getting Tobias Harris for three years. You might get him for, you know, four or five months, and then he could potentially walk in this market. Like, you don't ever, you don't really know. I mean, I'm assuming Philadelphia has more intel and they feel pretty comfortable that he's going to stay. But at the same time, you never know anything for certain. That's what we talked about in the last podcast. You just can't predict these things, you know, four or five months ahead. Right. And like another option, another thing that I heard was that, you know, Otto Porter, his 
salary next year is about five million more than what Tobias Harris's uh, cap hold would be for Philadelphia. So he Fair. would essentially give them, but that's it's not really necessarily the case because you'd be trading Markel Fultz anyway. So you'd be getting off of that money and it'd only be a $14 million addition to your cap anyway. So, or I think it might be, might be a little bit more than that might be like 16. So it's just, I don't know. I don't, and you could have like used Tobias as your backup for Jimmy Butler. If Jimmy Butler does decide to leave. There's just a lot there. And obviously they could have made a better offer to Tobias. They can make a better offer to Tobias now because you can offer him five years versus before you can only offer him four years. I probably wouldn't offer Tobias five years anyway, but that's just me. Um, Yeah. It's, I, I do wonder if it's not like a colossal mistake necessarily, but it's just one of those things that you look at. And since Sam Hinkie left Philly, you just don't see the Sixers coming away looking incredible in trades. And, you know, Brian Colangelo, uh, you know, obviously wasn't very good for them. But Elton Brand, his, I think he's been better. But this deal does kind of scream to me, hey, we could have waited until the deadline to, like, make sure what else was out there. And seen where this went, seen what the price tags were for Porter and then kind of gone from there. Yes, I, I agree hundred percent at real time. I was up when this happened because this happened really late on Pacific time. So I was like, okay, it was a clear win for the Clippers. I mean, in this specific deal, I mean, getting that Miami pick, getting yeah. Philadelphia pick, I believe lottery protected for an expiring contract. Like they didn't know if they were going to sign, resign Tobias Harris long term, so they're getting yeah. really, really awesome value. I think that was an absolute home run for Jerry West and, and the Clippers if Jerry West was, you know, <laughs> predominant over this deal. Let, let's, like, let's shout out Lawrence Frank real quick. Lawrence, sure, absolutely. Yeah, I think Lawrence has done a great job rebuilding the Clippers. Absolutely, one hundred percent. They did. They deserve a ton of credit. A lot of their moves are just really precise. Like you can really get the process behind it. So when that trade broke, you could immediately understand why the Clippers did it. It was very, very obvious. And like for the Philly side, it was more it's dependent on intel that we don't have. How likely do you think resigning Tobias Harris is long term? How likely is it that you weren't going to be able to get a, a similar player at a lesser cost, which ended up happening with Otto Porter? So it just depends on the inputs. How much information did Philadelphia have at the time of making that deal? I don't think it's necessarily a home run for them at all. I think there's definite risk here. You can you can talk yourself into the upside. Do you think this impacts Philadelphia in the East? Because I think this is what people want to talk about. You hear some people right away said, oh, Philadelphia is the favorite in the East now at this time before like Milwaukee got Miritich. How do you think this impacts them moving forward? Yeah, I said yesterday that I still thought Milwaukee was the favorite, but I thought Philly had closed the gap. Certainly, they were probably number two at that stage Uh, with the Marcus all trade as well. I don't really know. I think I still would rather be Philly than Toronto in this scenario now that they have Tobias Harris Tobias has just been better than Marcus all this year obviously the Raptors have been a little bit better than Philly as well so I, I do think I, I think I would rank them Milwaukee Philly Toronto Boston in that order okay yeah for me it, it's pretty fluid we just heard of course I think Woj tweeted that Wes Matthews in a buyout was going to go to Indiana that's someone who I thought potentially could go to Philly. And yeah. that's where I'm at with Philly right now is their depth is still not very good. 
like getting Jonathan Simmons back instead of Terrence Ross, that's going to hurt them. Jonathan Simmons has not been nearly as good this year. Their starting five is awesome. I mean, they're big five. Now, they to, that's the allure to right? They get him, they have that fifth starter, and they have someone who can allow them to stay big because they're obsessed with that. They want to stay big and play. Yeah. Simmons is this bigger point guard. For me, it's just like I get it. It works, and I think they're going to be better against Boston because now you're trading Sarge's athleticism for Tobias. I think Tobias is much more adept at hanging with these, the Jalen Browns, the Marcus Smarts. So that matchup specifically just really hurt Philadelphia in the past. So I think they're a little bit more adept there. You're still going to have issues with Redick because he, he just can't defend versatile positions. Like if he gets matched up on Jalen or Tatum. But if Boston's starting smart, he can, he can at least hide there. So from that vantage point, I can see them – you know, r- rising a little bit. They definitely got better, but their depth, I want to see how they fill out in the buyout market. I want to see if they can get a couple yep. more guys where they can really have like an eight-man rotation that they can at least somewhat rely on because that's where I think the other teams in the East have them pretty easily is the playoff caliber depth. So you, you have the starting five in Philly of, like you said, Tobias Harris, J.J. Redick, Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid. Um, then you also have now Jonathan Simmons, James Ennis, TJ McConnell, Jonah Bolden. Um, who who am I missing? Anyone? That sounds right to me. Is there is there anyone else? I think that that might be it right now because you know they do trade, they do trade two for one again with Muscala and Wilson Chandler, two guys that were playing. For Tobias yep. Harris, hey, Boban as well. We should probably. Say, I actually think Boban will be their backup center now. Which, given how much they post up and how much they enjoy doing that, I think it's a good fit as a second unit center. Sure, I think Boban helps them, especially in the regular season, take minutes off Embiid. But against the the high level playoff teams, maybe they they buy some spot minutes guarding Marcus Gasol on a series or something like that. But I don't think Boban yeah. necessarily impacts the series. He's not going to be able to play in space against the best kind of pull-up shooters and stuff like that. But my last point with them, for Jimmy Butler, do you think Tobias Harris, if they acquire Tobias Harris and they lose Jimmy Butler, let's say that Tobias resigns this offseason, sure. what do you think about that three going forward with Embiid, Simmons, and Tobias? Where are you at with that? I like it. Uh, they would obviously have cap space to go out and make a move and try and like sign Kemba Walker then too. Um, yep. If they could try and do that, like uh, they have max cap space still, even with this. So I don't hate it. I, I don't, I don't hate it. It would just depend on what they would do with all of their guys. For me, a lot of people view this as Jimmy Butler insurance. I don't think that's what this is. I mean, it kind of, in theory, could be, but I think what Jimmy Butler gives them is just way more valuable. And I know a lot of people might disagree with the spacing and stuff, but when you talk about a series, you have to guard Kyrie Irving. Who the fuck's going to do that if it's not Jimmy Butler? J.J. Redick isn't doing it. Like, you can't have Simmons do that. They just don't have enough versatility. We saw them get killed by Boston last year because they didn't have enough switch defenders to really guard these guys. They couldn't guard Tatum. They... And they really struggled with that. So if they lose Jimmy Butler yeah. long term, he was kind of their initiator. That was the idea of getting him in the playoffs was he's the guy who can shoot off the dribble and actually make decisions. Like Tobias Harris can shoot off the dribble, but he's, you're not running your offense through him. So that's why I think that they, they need all four of these guys now. <laughs> I, I would rather have Jimmy Butler than Tobias Harris long term. And I know that's kind of controversial because Tobias has these – he can definitely space the floor. But I think b- – what Jimmy Butler brings that team, they really need because Simmons kind of mandates it because he can't be the full-time point guard in the playoffs. We've seen that. He, he's 
he's not going to get the shot quality that you look for from that position. So for me, at least, I think they need to wrap all four of these guys up, and that's going to be really expensive. It depends on you know Simmons making an all-NBA team next year. If he does that, he, he could have that fifth-year max 30%, which would raise his max, I think, starting by $5 million. So instead of 29 it's like 34 That puts Philadelphia, I think, around $6 million under the tax in 2020. This is going to be expensive if they want to keep all these guys. That's pretty clear. If they're all maxed out, we'll see what the agreements are. I think they need Jimmy Butler, though. I'm, I'm firmly on that train. If they loosen this summer and they max out Tobias... Like you noted, we'll see what they do with the rest of that cap space. If they don't fill that cap space, then you got to pay Simmons the next year. So there's a lot of pressure on Philadelphia right now. So I think that the other thing that's worth mentioning here is that by acquiring Tobias Harris now and acquiring Jimmy Butler midseason, they don't have to make a choice this offseason, potentially. They can re-sign all five of their guys. They can keep J.J. Redick now. If Jimmy Butler was to go that kind of opens that up because you can't then have max cap space and keep Jimmy or JJ Reddick's cap hold on the sheet. Yes. That's a great point. So getting all of these guys allows them to potentially resign JJ, which is good. Uh, JJ is very important to what they do. Like he's averaging 18 points a game. JJ Reddick is awesome and uh, an incredibly important part. So it's all very interesting. I, I don't, I still think they're number two in the East. And Milwaukee is probably number one. Yeah, I honestly don't even. It's so close to me. I, I think I would take Milwaukee one, especially with Miritich. I just think they have so much firepower and they have the best player. So I, I think I would take Milwaukee over the rest, but it's really, really close. I think Philadelphia did a great job of lessening that gap. Before Tobias, I think Philly was a clear number four. And now I think it's a very close arrangement. I'm higher on Boston than a lot of people seem to be. I just think they're going to figure it out. I always thought it was yeah. never a personnel issue. It was about getting accustomed. I think they're going to be really, really tough. And Toronto, getting Marcus Soule, it's, it's going to be an awesome Eastern playoffs. If we get those top four teams in the second round and we get those, those matchups, I think it's going to be an incredible playoff run. All right, let's talk about some of these like lower-level trades. I think that's all of the high-level ones, right? Yeah, if you want to end on Anthony Davis' implications, like we can go through the short-term ones and then end with that because I think everybody wants to hear kind of what this means moving forward for the Lakers, for the Pelicans, or whatnot. Yeah, so uh, real quick, Houston gets Amon Shumpert, Nick Stauskas, and Wade Baldwin. Cleveland gets Brandon Knight, Marquise Chris, and the 2019 Houston first-round pick, lottery protected. And the Kings get Alec Burks. My initial reaction to this was... I guess Shumpert helps Houston a little bit more. Shumpert's been pretty good this year uh, than what Brandon Knight and Marquise Chris were going to do. They get off. Houston gets off of the Brandon Knight contract for next season, which is super valuable to their tax sheet. And then Cleveland takes a right gamble, gets the first round pick for taking on the extra $15 million next season. Sacramento gets Alec Burks, who hopefully can replace Iman Shumpert. It's fine. It's a fine deal, I guess. Yeah, I don't really have an objection across the board. I think Chumper will help Houston more, especially more than the Knight and Chris. Those guys just weren't going to give you minutes this year. Like Chris, is, he can't play on that roster in the playoffs. They're just not going to trust him. So, you know, having some salary cap relief, getting Chumper, who you know can at least fill a role. I, I'm, I don't know if I trust him on Chumper anyway, but I think he's been actually okay for the Kings. His shooting tailed off recently, but I, it's, it's a good move from Houston. We knew they are going to make some move with their first rounder to shed salary. Um, for the 
for the Kings, it, it's fine. Like getting Burks for Shumpert. I mean, they're trying to make the playoffs this year, so we'll kind of see how that plays out. I don't think Shumpert was instrumental, but he definitely helped them at times defensively, I thought. And then for Cleveland, this was a home run, you know, taking on Knight's money, taking on Chris's money, getting that first round pick. This is exactly what you want to do if you have cap space and you're not competing is you want to try to use your salary cap, your, your books to actually get a first round pick in return. Yeah, I like what Cleveland has done. Kobe Altman did a really nice job. Uh, you know, he moves Alec Burks, moves Rodney Hood, gets a first round pick and two second round picks. That's just solid, I think. Agreed. Uh we mentioned this at the top quickly, Avica Zubak and Michael Beasley for Mike Muscala. That's a Clippers and Lakers trade. I don't really get this from the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, I this would surprise me a little bit just because you remember they took Zubats over Thomas Bryant in the offseason. I was kind of I was kind of surprised by that. I wasn't shocked, but I was like, okay. And Zubats has given them decent minutes, but I guess they just wanted Muscala shooting. I think they wanted a stretch five element. Yeah, I guess, but don't you already have Mo Wagner? <laughs> you do, but I don't know if they trust him right now. So maybe he's a long-term option there. I'm just trying to justify the trade from the Lakers side. I don't think it's like terrible, but at the same time, this one was kind of a little bit more of a head-scratcher, even though I do think the, the intent here was to get a, a veteran caliber big who can definitely space the floor. Th- that's the only selling point for me with the Lakers. So uh, since December 21st, which is the time that Zubats entered the rotation and you know partially the starting lineup for the clip or for the Lakers he's averaged 12.6 rebounds and an assist and a block uh, while shooting 85% from the line 60% from the field uh, over 20 minutes a night that's pretty valuable to me especially for a guy that's like really really young Uh, this is not one that makes a whole lot of sense to me I agree with you I would definitely lean that way especially giving past deals as well I, this one kind of surprised me a little bit i'm not saying like zubats is this huge like world beater or anything but i definitely right. thought that the lakers would keep him in a deal that wasn't i, I mean if they were going to deal for anthony davis of course you're not worried about zubats but just getting muscala short term uh, I, I don't know i don't know if the value is here for the lakers the thought process i kind of understand but at the same time i don't know if it's going to make a difference yeah i agree uh let's move on to the next one here we talked morris for west johnson that's just a tax move shelvin mack for tyler dorsey uh that's pretty inconsequential right yeah i mean <laughs> i'm like i guess i'm like the tyler dorsey here after summer league and shit but i mean for me getting mac on that hawks team over dorsey who i've never really been enamored with his decision making it'll make the super hawks more fun to watch i guess but other than that like a, yeah pretty inconsequential i think they might be releasing him for what it's worth but um yeah, yeah they, they might have just like opened up a roster spot to take uh what's his name jabari bird maybe and then the oh, that makes sense. bird as well and then get the pick um we talked about ennis to philadelphia i will say this like james ennis gets this reputation as someone who's like never really gotten like a great chance and you know like hasn't his like been really impressive every time he's been on the floor i don't really know that he's that i do think he can be useful for philadelphia in like a 15 minute a game kind of role he can shoot it a little bit. He was relatively efficient this season as a scorer. I think he's a little overrated as a defender, but he is someone that can at least help Philly. 
Yeah, I completely missed this one when we talked about Philadelphia. So we talked about the depth. This will help a little bit. He's at least a bigger kind of wing-sized body who can make some shots, play competent-level defense. He's borderline. I'm, I don't, I've never really found the allure with him. I know some people like the Houston signing, like you said. Never really been totally enamored with Ennis's game. But this is a nice play by Philly, a 2021 second. They had a ton of seconds with, with Hinky. At least get you some rotational depth. I think this is a positive move for both sides. Uh, Scal Labissiere for Caleb Swanigan. That's uh, Caleb Swanigan better than Zach Collins' Caleb Swanigan in Summer League, I was told. <laughs> but, uh, oh, boy. Yeah. Really interesting here. And by interesting, I mean, I'm, I don't really know what the hell this is. I mean, is Scal ever going to play for the Blazers? Is Swanigan ever going to play for the Kings? I, it's very curious to me. I would 100% give Scal a chance uh, to see what he can do on this Portland roster. You know, like, can he be worse than Myers Leonard? That's an excellent question. <laughs> I don't think so, but you, you never know. I, I I do like it more from Portland side, from the King side, getting Swanning. And I don't see, I don't know what the hell that upside is. I don't really know what the driving force. I mean, clearly they couldn't get like a second, a good second round pick, probably for Scal. Otherwise, they would have potentially made that trade. So I, I understand it more from Portland standpoint, just because I do think Scal at least gives you some modicum of upside in the air quotes, even though I don't really know if it exists. But I understand it much more from their vantage point. Yeah, I've never really been in on Swan again, but okay. Uh, Houston uh, gives up a second along with Nick Stauskas and Wade Baldwin to Indiana. Indiana, Indiana releases EK on a Bogu to take on both of these guys. Uh, this is a tax move for Houston. Nick Stauskas and Wade Baldwin obviously moved quite a bit this deadline. Yeah, and I think given Indiana's construction, I'm not sure if they're going to waive Stouts because I haven't seen any news on that, but at least he can give them some kind of bench shooting. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that's um, all I got. Malachi Richardson, a second, and the rights to Amir Preldzic for cash. Uh, Philadelphia then waived Malachi Richardson. Uh, yeah. Where, where do we want to guess that Amir Preldzic is right now? Oh, I couldn't even venture or, one, frankly. Preldzic, <laughs> sorry. I'm not going to predict that. I'm not going to try to pronounce the name. So that, this is all you. <laughs> uh, let's see. We we got him in... He's 31 right now. He uh, played for Fenerbahce for a few years, it looks like. Good good EuroLeague team. Played for Fenerbahce for a long time, actually. Moved to Dara Safaka uh, in 2015, played for Galatasaray in 2017, and now plays for Bacesehir Kolei, which is also in the Turkish uh, first league. He's starting, averaging seven points and three and a half rebounds while shooting 31% from three as a three-point spot-up guy. There you go, man. That was uh, <laughs> impressive stuff. I, this is clearly just a salary dump for Toronto. I mean, with Philadelphia waving Malachi, that was the incentive here. Um, really quick, just the, the previous deal we talked about, not really that important, but it's second from Indiana for Stauskas. That's probably a bullshit second, right? One of those 31 through 55 protected ones, I'm guessing. I, I, I haven't seen any details on that. I would think so. But shout out Amir yeah. Preldzic for making the 2006 <laughs> U20 European Championships All-Tournament <laughs> team. Oh, there you go, man. All courtesy of Real GM. Uh, let's go to the final thing here. Uh, Anthony Davis obviously not moved. 
I am not surprised that this is what's happened. I've been advocating for them not to move Anthony Davis the whole time. It seems like this ended up being their decision as well. I mean, what do we think that all of this says? Like, you know, Brian Windhorst says yesterday that he believes that uh, there was some subterfuge going on from the side of the Pelicans where they didn't really ever want to negotiate. They just wanted to get the Lakers to offer all of their players and put them in trade rumors. Uh, I mean, (laughs) whether or not I believe that, I I don't really know. That would be a little bit funny to me. It would suck for the players involved, and I I get that it would be disheartening. But, you know, troll god Pelicans, do your thing, I guess. Uh, Do you think any of that was involved? Do you think that this is – where where do we think we're at here? I honestly can't say. Of course, we we don't have the intel to back that. Perhaps it is. Perhaps the Pelicans were just kind of fucking with the Lakers after – everything that happened, how they handled maybe some leaks, potentially. There's always like these leak wars going on during the trade deadline. You don't really leak know. Wars? <laughs> yeah, there you go, man. So there's always something going on as far as agendas and leaking it to the media. So I tend to like now I just tend to push all that stuff to the side and look at what the interests are. And for the Pelicans, the interests were clearly the Lakers offer wasn't good enough right now to take Anthony Davis off the table opportunity cost wise this summer when Boston would come in with Tatum potentially they allegedly had deals or I shouldn't say deals. They should, they had discussions with Danny age of a possibility of that. I don't know how viable those conversations really are. You you shouldn't have more players. You're going to have potentially KD to New York, which opens up another box of worms and maybe New York gets involved in this. So it didn't make sense now for the Pelicans to move Davis to the Lakers, unless the Lakers were just going to go absolutely insane with picks and really offer like four first rounders and get like unprotected picks when LeBron is past this contract and likely retires, or I don't even know when the hell, if LeBron will ever retire. It's like Tom Brady 2.0, but you get the thought process. Unless they were really getting a deal that really just completely knocked them off their feet. Why deal now? Right. That's a hundred percent right. You know, it sucks for the Lakers fans. I get that. You know, if you're bummed out by this, just go to the part of the podcast where we discuss potential Bradley Beal options for you. Uh, and I get that Bradley Beal is not nearly as good as Anthony Davis, but, uh, you know, he, he could be a nice consolation prize with some of these guys. Um, where do you think that the Lakers youngsters go from here now? Just because they've been involved in all sorts of trade rumors now. And, you know, the, the weirdest thing that happened last night was LeBron seemingly sticking up for Harrison Barnes more than he stuck up for his own guys. Like throughout this entire process, it was very bizarre to me. A lot of weird shit going on with the Lakers right now, just straight up. I think Ingram, for one, has handled it pretty well. He's played well recently. He's had a nice run. So you got to give him credit for maintaining focus on the floor. It's got to be. I'm, I'm not going to pretend to empathize with these players when you think you could be traded. I think somebody wrote a piece about this recently. And like the, the feeling you have when you know you're on the block, but you're not getting intel. And sometimes when it is late to the media, like it is with the Lakers kids, it's like, well, what the hell, man? Like if I'm just going to be traded, like am I going to give 110% effort? Am I going to really buy into this organization? It's a really convoluted process when you start factoring in, I couldn't even be here next year. Maybe this team doesn't want me. So there's a lot of mental components here. I think the Lakers kids for the most part, it, it seems like they've handled it really well. So credit to them. Yeah, no, I think that a lot of those guys are pretty mature. And then we've got LeVar Ball back in our lives. So that's exciting to me. I'm pumped about getting uh, Troll God Big Var back in our lives. <laughs> well, that makes one of us, man. Uh, apparently, once Lonzo go to Phoenix, 
that's really interesting. I and mean, the fit next to Booker long term is, is actually pretty ideal. Just kind of caught on the part that he wants like Lonzo to go to Phoenix. That, that doesn't seem to be a destination for a lot of these free agents, but that'd be that'd be a fun kind of option if we see this huge mega intersection of who's trading for Davis could Phoenix get in on that with Lonzo how does that play out we'll kind of see where it goes with Boston and this offseason is going to be even crazier than the deadline I think because so much is riding on the playoffs with Kyrie what is he going to do the effect of that on Anthony Davis is going to be credible uh the last thing I want to talk about is Anthony Davis is it seems like seriously gearing up for a fight to try and play the rest of the season uh, Dave McMenamin uh, says a league source says that if Anthony Davis is not traded today, he plans to play out the remainder of the season in the lineup for the Pelicans uh, every single game. No, I do not think that that is something that should happen. I mean, I do because they want to lose and get their own pick higher value. So I, I do think that Davis might fight this though. Um, frankly, like, and he might have oh, a I, I right think he's, to, Oh, I think he's going to, I think this is yeah. going to be a genuine fight now. If I, yeah, you know, which is really unfortunate. Well, what do you do in this scenario? I've said on this podcast already, you know, over the last couple podcasts, I would fight this. If I am the Pelicans, like I would say, screw this. This guy's not playing. He publicly requested a trade. Uh, you know, you guys find him for publicly requesting a trade. Yep. We just don't think that this is, you know, we have to protect our asset. He's a guy that has an injury history. We're going to accommodate his request. I mean, he's asking us to trade him. We're accommodating what he's asking. But because of your collective bargaining agreement, where we can't trade with Boston until this summer, we have to wait. So here's your, here's your, here's your deal. You can't play for us the rest of the way. Don't make a public mockery of our organization by requesting a trade. I think I'm speaking to the Pelicans attorney right now. <laughs> this is where I'm at. Uh, it's a really, it's like, a very I feel strong bad. I'm a- I, I feel bad. Like I'm typically on the side of the players with this. Like, and, and like, I think that there is something real about players rights, but at the end of the day, I also think there's something real about, you know, organizational rights here too. And in this case, Anthony Davis decided to take his request public whenever it is very clearly expressly prohibited that you cannot do that in the collective bargaining agreement. So now I think he has to pay the consequence for that. Yeah, I mean, it's a really it's a very persuasive argument. I will say that. And of course, there's other interests for the Pelicans. They don't want to be good with Anthony Davis, even though they weren't really already. I just it's unfortunate overall for both parties. I think Davis has a strong claim too. It's like why you can't like hold me out. I'm a, I'm under contract. Yeah. All of that, but I, I think the, the fans suffer. The fans suffer the most here too. It's just like the way this has ended is is not been optimal. I mean, Davis coming out leaking his trade interests, and if it ends this way with some dispute over the CBA and, and Davis is held out, it's just a really bad way to end. How, how long has it been? Like seven, eight years? Like that's. That's pretty rough, man. But like, here's here's another question: Do the Pelicans fans want to watch Anthony Davis now? Yep, that's another great one. I mean, I mean, I, I assume that they want their own pick to be higher as well. So that's a, and that's always an interest with fans. They're always going to think, let's get the best possible pick to get you know the next talent. Let's get Zion if we can. <laughs> you know what I mean? But also, there's they probably soured on Davis quite a bit after this. How he's handled it, he hasn't been. 
He hasn't gone to the extent, though, that he could have and been like, I'm only going to the Lakers publicly, even though we've heard some reports. But it hasn't been like authoritative from like a Woach, for example, that says, like, I'm only going to the fucking Lakers and I'm not going anywhere else. Like, at least he didn't do that to the organization. But short of that, how he's handled this has not been great. Yeah. Um, the last thing here, do you have any thoughts on Kevin Durant last night? Oh, God. Um, this is another tough one where I understand the arguments for both sides, but this side I would lean media. It just Durant, he, he just hasn't mastered his emotions yet. He, he hasn't mastered how to like deal with the media and how to be like a star and be criticized. He's been in that bubble in Oklahoma City where there was a lot of like Durant versus Westbrook, but he's not under like the limelight of being criticized. And in I mean, in Golden State, still hasn't been to the extent that it would be probably in like the Lakers, for example. I, I just think that sometimes this guy can think on what he says and understand that criticism and getting questioned by the media kind of comes with the job. And I don't know if he actually realizes that to the extent that he should. Yeah, I have a uh, very complex thoughts on this, I guess. <laughs> um, you know, Yo. I understand where he's coming from. I get why he's frustrated. He's having a fucking awesome season and nobody's talking about it. Right. Also, I think that he should understand that it's not normal for him to just randomly bring up the Knicks, uh, like unprompted in a press conference. And then, uh, you know, prior to that have gone dark for nine days after the Christoph's Porzingis trade, which was like a very transparent move to get cap space. I just don't like, I, I get what I get what he's going through. And I, I empathize with wanting to be recognized for how good that you are. I just don't think he did it in the right way. Like, like he specifically calls out Ethan, right? Like Ethan, Ethan fucking got Steve Kerr on his podcast whenever he was unemployed after ESPN laid him off. <laughs> uh, like he's been reporting on the Warriors since before Kevin Durant got there. Like this is not someone who just randomly walks in and doesn't talk to anyone. He knows like that organization better than Kevin does, I would bet. So like just to kind of say, who is he? he just kind of walks in and doesn't talk to anyone that stuff falls flat. You know what I mean? That's just not the case. So like part, like to just like outwardly lie like that, like makes me lose a little bit of the empathy for him because you know, what Ethan said is stuff that gets talked about around NBA circles. It's not like, it's not that these conversations are just happening in the media with speculation. They're happening in front offices across the NBA right now. Like this is, this is real world stuff that is happening. So, like part of me does want to empathize with him, but he just handled it in the most piss poor way imaginable. I think that's exactly my thoughts better articulated is there was a better way to handle it. I, I get the frustration as much as I can empathize with him, not being, you know, a multi-million dollar athlete who's insanely good. who's one of the you know 20 best players of all time, arguably, but I, <sighs> It's like, I get you're frustrated. I mean, he can come out and say, I have no interest in the Knicks. He doesn't have to do that, though. I'm not one of the, the people like, stop no. talking about the Knicks. Don't mention them. Like, he can do what he wants. I just think he has to handle criticism better. It's just something that he's never been able to do. I mean, notoriously with burner accounts on Twitter or whatnot, he's, just, he's never been able to handle that 
in the limelight, I don't think, like a LeBron. And LeBron gets defensive at times, too, of course. But I think he is much better at kind of maybe even passively aggressively going about it, where Durant, like calling out Ethan, I just don't know what you're trying to accomplish with that. I, I don't think it's the way to handle the situation. Yeah, and like here's the other thing here, too. Like in Kevin's case, I don't care. Like I do not give a fuck if you don't want to talk to the media. Then just don't talk to the media. But recognize yeah. that if you don't talk to the media, you lose the ability to articulate your own voice in the questions that the media is asking. Now, I also think there's something to the fact that, you know, Kevin owns multiple like multimedia company. Here he owns at least one multimedia company, right? And he has a Twitter account. He could come out and just like talk about this, right? But if you decide not to talk about it and then you decide not to meet with the media, that's your choice, but then your voice is gone from the process. So you lose a semblance of control over it. And in Kevin's case specifically, he's never been someone that has figured out that his voice in all of this makes the biggest story, right? Anytime that he adds yep. his voice, positively or negatively, to anything, that is going to be the story. He's entered that realm. He is one of the 15 best basketball players of all time, in my opinion. That's the realm that he has entered. So when he says something, if he would just come out and say, hey, you know what? I'll talk about this after the season, whenever the question gets asked after the Knicks trade. That's the story, right? People might still speculate, but it doesn't become as big of a thing as it became today with him specifically like going after Ethan, right? Um, and then additionally, if he wants to you know, be quiet in this way that that's fine. That, you know, it, it'll just continue to bubble underneath the surface, but by adding his voice and doing it in a negative way and being as aggressive as he was, he's now adding fuel to the fire. So it's and like, he's damned if he does damned, if he doesn't, I understand that aspect of it too. Uh, he has said now already the season that he doesn't really want to talk about free agency. I get that, but there's, a big deal that just happened, right? I think it's a reasonable question to ask. And then all you have to do is just reiterate, Hey man, I, I don't really want to talk about it. That's my free agency. will come this summer. And it's just not something I'm thinking about right now. I honestly can't articulate it any better than that. So I agree across the board with what you said. And especially the control part, if you don't give your own opinion, you don't chime in for yourself, you let that potentially snowball and you leave it into the hands of other people to kind of craft the narrative. And I think that's what he's fighting right now. It, it's, it's something again, that I can just understand the arguments of both sides. Yeah. And like, I'm not someone like who hates Kevin Durant. Like my, my biggest thing with Kevin is I, I just want Kevin to find happiness. Like this dude, I mean, like Marcus Thompson wrote today, like he just doesn't seem happy to me any time that he's like, you know, having to talk to the media, anytime he has to deal with all this stuff, like he just doesn't seem happy. Like I, I just want that dude to be happy more than anything. Like I want him to find whatever it is he's looking for. Cause I want everyone to find whatever it is they're looking for. It just doesn't seem like that's happening right now. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It just kind of seems like the weight of this decision with the Warriors. I think that's why you see the Knicks. Because I think if you look at it from an image standpoint, I mean, 
he came back and played in that key arena game, Seattle, because he knows that like Seattle will always love that guy. Like I will love that guy just because of what yeah. he meant to the city when he was here, like saying he misses the city and stuff like that. That actually means a lot to us. But like going to the Knicks, for example, I think that's why it actually has some legs is because like what would be the best move for his image? Go win in New York where a team that's been so desperate for so long for a, a good franchise, for, for quality players like that. And to bring he's going to win a title in New York. Like all of this, a lot of this goes away. And I just don't think that he's really ever understood or be able to cope with the negativity that's come with him, like jumping ship from Oklahoma City, going to the Warriors and kind of this bandwagon idea. LeBron struggled with this, too. So I, I do think it's a very human element to him as well. It, it's a yeah. convoluted process. Like he wants to win, but it's like you can't win by yourself in this league. And he's the one that's taking the bullets for the Warriors because they already won without him. So him going and joining them. It's a complex decision. So, I again, I, I just really understand both sides here, but I do agree with, with basically every point you've made. Cole, tell the people what's going on in your life. We didn't even talk NBA draft today. Uh, do, do you want to shout out one quick prospect that you're excited about? Isaiah Joe. <laughs> That's uh, all I got is, for you right now. I'm not even... <laughs> over the next three years, this is going to be just the Isaiah Joe podcast. No question. Until, like, one of us gets hired by an NBA team and this podcast ceases to exist. <laughs> uh, yeah, th- this will be the Isaiah Joe-friendly podcast. Uh, I, I want to shout out Jamal Bienemy from Oklahoma. Uh, I am a pretty big fan of Jamal Bienemy. He is, like, a six-foot-four long athletic guard who uh, pl- already plays defense at a pretty high level, has just recently moved into Oklahoma's starting lineup. Uh, and you know, it's been like hit or miss since he's moved into the starting lineup. Like he started his first two games and dropped 28 points and, you know, dished out some passes that were pretty decent. And then, you know, you look over the last three games, five points, three points, zero points against Baylor, West Virginia, and Iowa state. He's not there yet. He's not ready to go pro yet, but I do think that down the road, he's going to be really good. Yeah, I really got to check him out more. I haven't seen too much of that team this year. I, I'm going to start looking more at multi-year guys. I've seen a lot of them, like LeBlanc, for example, from Georgetown. I mentioned him on the podcast before. Yeah, I really, really like that kid. Yeah, so that's kind of where I am right now, especially with this class. And we've talked over text. Like, it's just it's a drag right now with this 2019 draft. I mean, we've seen everybody kind of want to take some time off, like maybe a couple of days and then get back into it just to refresh and kind of have a different perspective. But it's not great, man. It's just... It sucks because it's coming off last year where I was like into it every single day. It was like, okay, there's going to be someone playing that I enjoy watching. And this year, there's probably like three of those guys. And it's just kind of brutal. Yeah, it's less exciting. Um, I also want to shout out Fiondu Cabangele. I'm a fan of Fiondu Cabangele at Florida State. Um, yep. Go to The Athletic. Keep me employed there. I have a big project coming next week at some point. Um, definitely an NBA draft prospect uh, project. You can look for that next week. We'll be back maybe this weekend with another podcast. I have to get Dieter on the podcast, uh, you know, to talk about Kevin Durant again, probably because he was there last night. I know that. But uh, that's about all I got for you. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.